Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thank you for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour, the Willis Allen Ramsey special. Willis will be out in just a moment. But if you could do us a favor, please consider sharing this interview on social media. One of the things we're trying to do with this interview is promote a live stream of Lyle Lovett and Willis Allen Ramsey coming out on April 9th. Also, you can support the mission of the Paul Leslie Hour by going to thepaulleslie.com and clicking on Support the Show. And now, let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, I am ecstatic to be welcoming one of America's great troubadours. I've wanted to officially welcome him on the show for years. He's been called a cult legend, a singer-songwriter, concert performer. Willis Allen Ramsey is here on the Paul Leslie Hour. He's very influential. The songs of Willis Allen Ramsey have been recorded by a great variety of artists, country artists like Waylon Jennings, Jerry Jeff Walker, Jimmy Dale Gilmore, also singer-songwriters as diverse as Eric Clapton, Sean Colvin, Jimmy Buffett, who said, I think he is one of the best writers I have ever known, and then groups like America, The Captain and Tennille, Widespread Panic. One of the great artists who has covered and collaborated with Willis Allen Ramsey is the iconic Lyle Lovett. There is a grand event that's coming up. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be a live stream. Lyle Lovett and Willis Allen Ramsey in conversation and song. You can get the ticket at LyleLovett.com. It's going to be Friday, April 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 Central. And you'll be able to watch through April 11th. So, Willis Allen Ramsey, thank you so much for stopping by. How are you doing? I'm great, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. How are you feeling? What's going through your mind about this this live stream that you're doing coming up? Well, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled. This will actually be the first date I've done in over a year due to COVID. But Lyle asked me about the possibility of doing a show a while back, and it just seemed like a perfect time to do it. Plus, I'm an incredibly good company. He said, some major people on the live stream over the last year. I think the last show was Michael McDonald, so no pressure there. <laughs> and then the show before that was Vince Gill. Other artists like Jason Isbell, Elvis Costello, Chris Isaac, Dwight Yoakam, all kinds of really different writers and performers. Sean Colvin, Robert Earl Keane, John Hyatt, so... It's just a total honor to be included in this group of artists. So, Willis, what would you say has always been the purpose of the art you create? Why do you do it? Well, I just do it for the love of it. The sheer joy of being able to complete a song and to be able to say something, you know, in the form factor of a song. I mean, it's not like writing haiku or anything that hard, but... You have a certain amount of limited time, space, and like Quincy or Paul McCartney say, you've only got 12 notes, but it's amazing what you can do within those confines, and that's always been the draw. 
if you push things around in terms of lyrical content and arrangement, and I've always loved uh, instrumentation, there it's limitless, really. And growing up in the 60s with all those amazing groups, it was so inspirational. And uh, I was likewise inspired. So I've had a love of it from a very early age and been fortunate enough to be able to make a living doing it. So I guess that's mainly where I'm coming from. Willis, is there a song of the ones you've written that is nearest and dearest to your heart? Hmm. Well, you know, I've written a lot of songs over the years, but the newer ones have had more of a kind of a Southern quality about them. If I can ever get it out, this new album is going to be called Gentilly, which is a district in New Orleans. And since I'm originally from the South, being born and raised in Birmingham, these recordings uh, feel like that. One of my favorites is Mockingbird Blues, which is a song about gossip. I have a good musician friend, Keith Sykes, who once told me, uh, Willis, when I listen to your songs, all I hear is food and sex. (laughs) And I said, actually, Keith, it's food, sex, and little animals. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, part of my damage growing up was watching a lot of cartoon shows, along with, you know, Mouseketeers and Sky King. And I particularly loved all those shows like Heckle and Jekyll and Mighty Mouse because of all the great music. Like they had merry melodies and they were just brilliantly scored. So uh, as a child, you know, it was a way to relate to something outside of my own little world, which uh, when you're a kid, everything is centered around you. And so it, it helps to be able to relate to those characters and kind of get outside yourself. I was the youngest of three boys. And by the time I came along, my mother just sort of handed me off to our maid Dear Lady Ford, who had moved with my parents and my brothers from Atlanta to Birmingham, I used to go down to her house in the backyard and hang out. She was like my other mother, and she just let me watch as much of me of those shows as I wanted to. So it was a big influence on my music, and you can hear that. So there's Mockingbird Blues, uh, Mr. Lemon's another one. And then another love song is uh, Desiree, which is about my first marriage and, you know, about romance and that stuff we all bring to relationships. So those are three of the ones I can think of right now. Very interesting about Merry Melodies and the, the songs from cartoons being an influence. Willis, what songwriters would you say have had the biggest influence on you? Well, of course, Lennon and McCartney, the Beatles, and the way that band evolved over such a short period of time. You know, sometimes we forget we just had them for eight years. But the uh, way they evolved in that relatively short period of time was really something. And then uh, Dylan was just amazing the way he used language. I mean, it's hard to believe he did all that with just a typewriter and that Gill guitar. Paul Simon was incredible. James Taylor, of course. And one of my favorite writers and singers was John Sebastian from The Love and Spoonful, who I just loved. And uh, the band, 
with uh, oh Levon or Levon, <laughs> but uh, probably my biggest songwriter influence was uh, Laura Nero. Hmm. Two records she put out, Eli and the Thirteenth Confession, and New York Tenderberry, are just Godhead albums. I encourage anyone out there to try and find them. She was the same engineer that Simon and Garfunkel did, Roy Haley at CBS. And uh, they recorded in that same old church studio down in uh, downtown Manhattan that got her Liebertson built. But she was just an unbelievable talent, truly just a force of nature. I was mentioning at the beginning all of these great groups and artists that have recorded your songs. Would it be possible to say who did the best interpretation of a song you wrote? Well, it's hard to pick just one, but uh, Lyle did a great job with uh, Sleepwalking. Sean Colvin recorded a cool version of Satin Sheets on her album Cover Girl, which she just kind of knocked that song out of the park. And then America's recording of Muskrat, which the real title of the song, which I greatly prefer, is Muskrat Candlelight. But there's a story behind that, too. That was one of my favorite songs, but word got back to me that Warner wanted to change the title. And the only reasons I finally gave them permission to do it was that they put down such a great version of it, and it was produced by George Martin. So how are you going to say no to George Martin? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, David Dickey, their bass player, who put the band behind them together, was an Okie who used to hang out at Shelter and was a cool guy. So that all played into it. But it's always been hard to live with that title, and I just can't let it go. Recently, when I played the Austin City Limits Hall of Fame show, where Lyle, uh, Sean, and Buddy Guy were inducted, I saw Jackson Brown for the first time in decades. Since we met earlier in our careers, you know, I finally got the courage to go over and say, hey, Jackson. And uh, as a way of kind of bringing back the connection, he finally realized and and he put his hand to his mouth and pointed at me and said that's right you're the guy that wrote muskrat love (laughs) (laughs) so you know that's just there's one of the many reasons i didn't want to change the title but what can you do (laughs) you know i have a personal connection with a lot of your songs but one of my most vivid memories of listening to the ballad of spider john was i had had a squabble with a girlfriend and i went to this drive up hamburger and they had different sandwiches and i just listened on repeat and i was taken away in the story of your song the ballad of spider john i've always wondered what inspired that song oh wow well there are two things uh, mainly my first real Romance was kind of a big deal in high school with my sweetheart and all. So that was one influence. And I also kind of wanted to write a ballad about this uh, loser kind of guy, which was me at that time, since that's the way I felt. Must have done something to blow the relationship. But uh, there was another primary influence was this guy that picked me up when I was hitchhiking on my way from Memphis to Nashville. 
And he, he was like a real character. And, and in real life was in fact a drug runner as he was not hesitant to tell me. <laughs> so he was just driving back from a little run from Mexico, headed back to New York to sell his stuff. And I guess he just wanted some company, but, uh, and no telling what he had in the trunk. But, uh, after a while, I noticed there were these two other guys kind of shivering in the back seat who were also scared stiff because they'd hopped in his car too, like me, but they were buds. But, uh, this guy was like a dead ringer for Shel Silverstein. If you remember the artist writer, songwriter oh, yeah. Shel Silverstein, because he was bald, uh, had a black beard and, and wore all black clothes like Shell. So that guy was in fact the real model for the loser character in that song. He, he was literally Spider John and my ex high school girlfriend was Diamond Little. <laughs> <laughs> Great stories. And so, Willis, you're going to be doing this live stream coming up April 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time with Lyle Lovett. One of the things about you and Lyle is you have this shared Texas background. Would you say that coming from Texas had a big effect on you? Oh, it had an amazing effect. I don't think I would have been a musician if my family hadn't moved to Texas when I was 10. Texas has so many types of music. It's like in the air, every style from conyuto, norteño, music from Mexico, the country swing, blues, gospel, rock and roll, rhythm and blues, every kind of music you can think of. Dallas is right in the middle of the country, so all the great touring bands played there, and that's where I grew up. Texas also has a lot of homegrown music talent. Just about everyone knows that Buddy Holly was from Lubbock, but did you know that Sir Douglas Somm was from San Antonio, or that Barry White was originally from Galveston, hmm. or that George Jones was from Beaumont, Port Arthur, just like Janis Joplin or Johnny and Edgar Winter? So, yeah, Texas was and still is a great place for music, and it's all influenced me. I'm hoping you can share with us maybe one of your memories, maybe your most vivid memory of the time you spent in Great Britain? Ah, that's an easy one. My most vivid memory there is getting to go on a date with the great singer Mary Hopkin. <laughs> a friend of mine, Benny Gallagher, was a member of the duo Gallagher and Lyle, and they'd been writers for Apple Corps Music, the Beatles company. So they'd gotten to know Mary and uh, her record, Postcard was produced by Paul McCartney, and she had that big hit, Those Were the Days. But she and Benny had become good friends over the years, and, uh, you know, since the mid-60s, he'd known her. So while I was there, in the mid to late 80s, Mary had invited Benny to a concert that George Harrison was promoting, Trio Bulgarka, on the South Bank, just across the River Thames. I forget the name of the menu exactly, but it was right across from Parliament. Anyway, Benny found out that her husband, who she'd just gotten a divorce from, was also coming. So he decided he'd better not go because he didn't like him. And uh, he was a famous producer. You'd recognize many of the acts he made records for, but I'm gonna, not going to mention his name. But uh, Benny said, uh, Alan, he says, if I see him, I'll have to take a swing at him. So can you go in my place? And I said, wait, wait, Benny, let me get this straight. 
you want me to go and listen to a concert with your good friend, Mary Hopkin? And he said, eh, that's right. She needs a date. So I said, <laughs> well, okay, I guess you can twist my arm. <laughs> but it was great. We ended up going to dinner and after the show, went out with some friends and had a lovely time. And then Benny also produced one of her solo records. So I got to see her sing on mic in the studio, which was like dying and going to heaven. And, you know, she visited Nashville when Alice and I were living there and also called us up when we were back in Austin and invited us to come here, sing at the Royal Albert Hall with the Chieftains. But uh, we uh, had a young daughter, Helen. She was just a toddler. So, uh, but there was nothing I would have loved more. But yeah, that's by far my most vivid memory of Great Britain. It was such an incredible thing to meet her. And we kept in touch there for a while. <laughs> One thing is certain, Willis, you have some great, great stories. And I'm really looking forward to this live stream on Friday. And again, it's going to be Friday, April 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And Lyle Lovett and Willis Allen Ramsey together in conversation and song. I always like to end the show just very open-ended. What would you say to all the folks who are tuned in with us? Well, I'd say that, uh, first of all, Lyle is an incredible host. And, you know, he just puts all his guests at ease. And he just naturally does that, if you've ever met him or anybody who's ever met him knows that. I've seen a few of the performances, the live streams he's done so far, and you can tell that everybody's a little nervous at first, but all that just goes away with his sort of innate charm and cleverness. We go back a long time. I've known him since he was a student at A&M and ran the coffee house and wrote the music column at the school paper. So, uh, plus we've written together kind of by accident and he and I and Allison have written together too. So he just makes you laugh and Lyle's got some amazing stories too. So, you know, we're going to be spoiled for choice in terms of stories we can tell. So it'll be a good evening. If you like storytelling and music, I'll just tell you, it'll be a blast. I am very much looking forward to it. Anybody who is interested, they can get the tickets at LyleLovett.com. You can also check out WillisAllenRamsey.com. And Willis Allen Ramsey, thank you so much for the opportunity to interview you. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Oh, Paul, same here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you having me on. And I'd love to come back when I finally get this horse of an album out of the barn. <laughs> you know, I'll get this album out and we can talk some more then. I look forward to it. Maybe we can even talk face-to-face -face next time. Yes, sir. That'd be great. All right. Until next time. Ba-ba. Doodly beep bop a dee da a dee bump a dee boo a a tea a jib bop kill a can dance a gill a bond a goodle to a jig a monkey but is a yell ya hunger a yang a second back in a gamble e dagamble go a a god ing a rock a tang a lang a ball a kick a goodbye.